As we prepare for our time together in the Word, um, we're going to read Psalm 102 together. If you look inside your bulletin, you will find uh, this off-white. I'm not sure what color that is, paper. Um, But it says Psalm 102 on the front of it. I'm going to read the normal font. I'm going to ask if you respond in kind by reading the bold font, and we can read through it together. I will tell you there is a front and back Um, But we're going to start at verse 1. I'll read the normal font, and I'll ask for you to read the bold font. Psalm 102. Hear my prayer, Lord. Let me cry for help. Come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I'm in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. In my distress, I groan aloud, and am reluctant, and I'm reduced to skin and bones. I'm like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake; I've become like a bird alone on a roof. But you, Lord, sit a throne forever. Your renown endures through all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come. The nations will fear the name of the Lord. All the kings of the earth will reveal your glory. For the Lord will rebuild Zion and and appear in His glory. He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. So the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem, when the peoples and the kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be discarded. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are uh, thankful for our time this morning. Uh, We're thankful that we can come together, uh, that you provided a place for us to worship in. We thank you that we've been able to to travel here without fear of of authority on on our religion or what we worship. Father, we thank you that, that we can come together in this place, sitting shoulder to shoulder with brothers and sisters in Christ, and we can worship you, that we can do so loudly and without fear. 
Father, we pray this morning for our brothers and sisters around the world that do not have that. Yet they still meet together with great joy. Father, we thank you for your kindness in our life, and we ask that you would just be with us this morning as we open up your word. Father, I ask that you would guard my tongue, that you would uh, watch the things that I would say, that, that, Father, that only your truth would be proclaimed, that everything else would be just pushed aside as dust. Father, we, we know that, that you are God. We rejoice in that. We thank you for the impact that you've had on our life, the way that you work through us and in us. Oh, but Father, we're thankful for your Son. Oh, we love your Son. And it's in his name, Father, that we pray these things. Amen. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, we looked at Psalm 100. We've been reading through the Psalms as a congregation, and, and this morning we've come to 102. But two weeks ago, we sat in Psalm 100, and uh, Pastor Joel, a couple weeks ago, had asked if I would, if I would preach a couple weeks here, and, and he's on vacation this week, so it just kind of works out. And So we began looking at Psalm 100, and this is a psalm that is filled with words like shouts of joy and worship with gladness and thanksgiving and praise and faithfulness. Psalm 100 is, is five verses, five wonderful, beautiful verses. Five verses that speak of, of giving grateful praise. This morning we're in Psalm 102. A, a prayer of one afflicted who has grown weak and pours out a lament before the Lord. It's a much different psalm. It's a much longer psalm. And before we begin really looking at Psalm 102 this morning, I, I want to point out the difference uh, just right off the bat between Psalm 100 and 102. Psalm 100 is five verses and Psalm 102 is 28. It, it may serve as a helpful reminder to you or, or maybe just something to think about or to ponder on that oftentimes when we think of praise and thanksgiving and gratitude... We tend to condense it, make it short. Oh, but, but when we think about anguish and pain and suffering, we tend to draw it out. We tend to want to expound upon it and sit in it and even revel in it a little bit. I mean, think about when we praise God, right? God is good. Oh, but when we lament, when we complain, when we cry out, we tend to be longer-winded. Now, this isn't always the case, of course, but, but it's something to think about, especially as, as you go through your days, as you go through your months, as you go through your years, and as, and as life comes at you, maybe it's a good reminder to find a healthy balance. Recognizing the things in your life that are worthy of praise. Now, we just read Psalm 102 together, and it's, and it's easy to see that, that the author here is going a much different direction. Sharing his pain, his loneliness, speaking on about the shortness of life. Actually, the, the British Journal of Psychiatry wrote a, a brief article actually on Psalm 102. And, and this is what some of the things that they wrote. The first half of Psalm 102 is a particular interest from a psychiatric point of view because of the similarities between the psalmist's description of his di difficulties and depressive symptoms. The psalmist describes his mental state as being distressed. 
and his heart being blighted and withered like grass. The psalmist also refers to significant weight loss, reduced to skin and bones, due to forgetting to eat and eating ashes for food. In verse 9, the psalmist refers to, to being tearful. And in verse 7, he, he, re, he reveals uh, sleep difficulties, having trouble to sleep. It also appears that the psalmist has, has turned to drink, which I don't see, perhaps to cope with his feelings. There's also mention of the psalmist isolating himself in verse 7, which says, I become like a, a bird alone on a roof. My bones are like glowing embers in verse 3. could possibly be a reference to joint and muscle pain, which point towards somatic or, or physical symptoms associated with depression. The psalmist also voices negative connotation about himself and others. Right, My days vanish like smoke, and all day long my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse. The poetic description of the melancholy experienced by the psalmist therefore fits the description of a depressive episode. Thank you, British Journal of Psychiatry. But saying that the the, the psalmist had depression and that the words we read this morning are are just an outcry of that illness um, in their life is, I, I believe, a little bit of a stretch. I mean, I, I gravitate toward the psalm. This is, this, is, this is one of my favorites. But I think the words we read cover more than just an illness or depression. I think they represent something much, much bigger. And, and one of the bigger things is to provide an example for us. This is an aid for us, for us to read through and study and learn and to grow from on how we should pray in those moments how we should reach out to god in those moments crying out to god desperately in a real and in an honest way and to do so with with a great confidence in who god is i mean i I think we would all agree life is life is hard And, and it's not always pretty and, it, and it's really, really messy. There are things that, that you navigate through, that I navigate through, that, that, just, that just aren't easy. And they, they stick to us like briars. And they hurt to pull off. Things that we weep over and cry about. But we see this written out in, in so many of the Psalms. I mean, a third of the Psalms are, are laments. A, a passionate expression of, of grief and of sorrow. But it's how we respond. It's how we respond in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our frustration, our despair, our confusion, our anxiety, and even our fear. Man, that, that, that's what what matters you're you're going to feel those things those things are going to come at you every day every month every year as you live on this earth but how do you respond one of the ways that we can learn to respond in those moments is by studying these laments how to pray with desperation how to pray with honesty and how to pray with confidence in the hope of the risen christ 
Legan Duncan uh, preached a, a sermon on Psalm 102 um, in 2008. It's, it's worth your time to listen to it. I, I would encourage you to even tune me out at this point and just go listen to Legan. Um, I said to my wife it would be much easier if I just read his sermon. It would be much, much better. But I do want to take a piece of his sermon for you this morning. And, and this is what Legan Duncan says. He, he says, Have you known affliction, deep and intense, unrelenting affliction, a, a darkness where there is no light at the end of the tunnel? Have you brought it with you today? Perhaps it's your job and your vocation, your profession. You have with integrity sought to earn a living, do what is right, and yet there is someone, a client, a partner, who has betrayed you. Raking your good name through the mud, calling you to question all of your integrity, threatening your livelihood and your well-being of your family as, and, and as he strives to ruin your reputation. And then when you come home late at night and you want to lay your head on the pillow and close your eyes and forget about it, you cannot. There's no escaping it. Everywhere you go, that reality is there and there's no relenting in its pursuit of you. Or maybe it's in a family estrangement, one of whom you would give great joy and from whom you would receive great joy has plunged a knife into your soul and there is no relief. It may be your husband or your wife or your child or your very own mother or father or some close relative. And in that very place where, they, where they're meant to have security and joy, there is, in fact, the deepest of affliction. Because there is no one who can hurt us like those that are closest to us. Or maybe you're just living in yawning loneliness, surrounded by frenetic activity and work, surrounded by numerous acquaintances, but no one who really knows you and loves you or cares about you when you're gone. No one to stick with you to the end. Or maybe... It's that you're carrying within your own body a disease that's trying to kill you. Or maybe there's an unbelieving child that has broken your heart. And I could go on and on and not end the list of afflictions that are here today. He continues, my friends, it is one of the supreme truths of God's word that it is true and that it is his and that he speaks to us precisely in these places and that he dares us to say Write down your afflictions and pray them to me. In fact, I'm going to give you the words in my word so that you can pray them back in the midst of your broken heart and your affliction and so that you can bring me your complaint. This is what we see. Feelings of confusion, grief, sorrow, loneliness, betrayal, real feelings, illnesses, physical, mental a loved one's unbelief. These are all real things. In Psalm 102, we see our response. We need to pray. We need to cry out to God. We need to pray with, with a desperation. Uh, the heading above the psalm in my Bible reads, An afflicted person who has grown weak and pours out a lament before the Lord. I love that. Pour. Oh, pours out. A lament. Hear my prayer, Lord. 
Let me cry for help. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I'm in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. The author of this psalm feels alone. He's an outsider at this point looking in. Lord, hear my cry. Despite this painful season, we see some, some confidence here. Knowing that God hears prayer. There are times when it feels like we're very, very far and we're very distant from God. And it feels at times that God has turned His face from us. Turned His ear from us. But in those moments, that is where we hold this confidence. And and we see that in verse 17. He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. Take heart. Do you pray with a sense of desperation? Not a desperation. It brings about this, this sense of, of hopelessness. I'm not sure I do. Praying to God in desperation is with an exclamation point. Not a period. Actually, the ESV, if you're looking at the ESV this morning, there's three exclamation points just in those first two verses. If you're reading the NIV, feel free to write them in. Lord, hear my cry is not casual. It's not formal. It's the pit of your stomach. It's passion. And you're not going to give up until He turns His face and looks at me. In his book, Praying with Paul, D.A. Carson mentions a, a Puritan saying, Pray until you pray. He, he writes this, that, that what they meant is that Christians should pray long enough and honestly enough at a single session to get past that feeling of formalism and unreality that attends not a little praying. Basically, just don't be so quick to get off your knees. It's okay to lean in. Cry out to the Lord. It's okay if it's messy, if it's okay if it's not pretty. But it should be desperate, and it should be honest. Lord, where else would we go? We see great honesty in these words expressed throughout this psalm. And and he uses honesty to express the anguish that he feels. There's nothing but honesty from verses 3 through 11. There are times where I, I call my wife. I talk to my wife a good bit during the day because I like her and I like to hear her voice and it makes me feel better. And there are times I call her and I, and I say, I just, I just need to vent for a second. Just, just give me a moment. And then I begin to, I begin to complain about someone or, or something that is, that is just frustrating me. And, and my wife and very kindly listens to me and, and doesn't intera- or, or, or interrupt me and just lets me go. And then when I'm done, I'm like, okay. Good. This, what we see here in verses 3 through 11, is some venting. This is what venting looks like. In, in beautiful, vivid fashion, the author of this psalm lays out his complaint to God. I, I read this week that the suggestion is that we should vent to God before we vent to anyone else. It's a good suggestion. 
It's good advice. Although venting to my wife allows me to get it off my chest, she, she can't do anything about it. God can listen to my venting. And if it's His will, He can affect the outcome. We see here, for my days vanish like smoke. Time is, time is always moving. Our days are few. We lost an hour. Oh, look around. It truly affected some of us. We stand in, in the mire of our anguish. We become, uh, like, we become aware of more, our, morta- our mor- mortality. When, when we face the pain described as bones burning, our mortality becomes very, very evident. I mean, how's your heart? Does it feel broken? Does it feel like withered grass, dried? Does, it feel, does your heart feel dried up inside? Have you ever experienced that feeling? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and that's exactly where you are. You, exactly, you find yourself just spiritually dry, withered grass. Oh, then pray. Pray then, brothers and sisters, that, that God would provide soothing rain on your heart, that, that He would provide health and, and restore you, that He'd heal you. Desperate and honest prayer. We see here he, he refers to himself as being reduced to skin and bones in verse 9. Or in verse 9, then we see he's, he's eating ash as food, right? One of the great joys of of going to high school is eating in the cafeteria. Right? You go through the line with your tray, you choose what food you want, and then you turn around and there's a sea of students and tables. And that moment of truth happens where you have to decide where you're going to sit. And for some, that creates great, great anxiety. I mean, choosing where you sit for those 30 minutes feels monumental. As a high school student, I made it simple. I sat with the same guys for four years. We just sat at the same table with the same guys, and I never had to worry about it. But one of those guys at our table was involved in wrestling. And when you sit at lunch with a wrestler during wrestling season, it's always an interesting time. See, wrestlers need to be concerned about their weight. And they need to be either at or under the weight they're wrestling at. And there are times where my friend would find himself overweight. Not overweight, over the weight. And he would need to, in the course of the day, drop a few pounds. And he did this in a variety of different ways. And I look back, none of them were healthy. And I wouldn't recommend any of them. But But he would be very concerned about what he ate at lunch, or how much he ate, or he would not eat at all. Which for the rest of us, was great because we either took his food or made fun of him the whole time that we were eating and he couldn't. And This is not what the author's talking about. He's not talking about cutting some weight here, dropping a few pounds or, or sweating it out. No, think more like the character Tom Hanks plays in the movie Castaway. I mean, they actually filmed it in two parts. They waited a year between scenes, so it provided him enough time to grow his beard out and to drop the extreme amount of weight needed. They wanted him to look as if he was abandoned, 
alone, afflicted, tormented, and, and nothing but skin and bones. This is what the author writes about. Except he isn't writing for Hollywood or, or, or for make-believe. In the desperate moments on this deserted island, the character even in Castaway, uh, he, he needs to talk to somebody, so he talks to his imaginary friend Wilson, right? An imaginary friend made of a volleyball. You, you have God, not a volleyball. So even in the midst of that struggle, in the midst of that affliction, infliction, aff, affliction, affliction, <laughs> you have God to cry to. This sense of isolation, this, this feeling of rejection is displayed in verses 6 through 7. Oh, I love verses 6 through 7. I'm like a desert owl. And if you're reading from the New American Standard or from the King James this morning, you see pelican in the wilderness. Although the type of the bird is not the point. I love the image of the pelican. A bird who lives along the water, who can only travel and migrate so far from the shore, is finding itself in the wilderness. We feel that way sometimes. That we're not where we should be. Struggling to fit in, to find our place. This loneliness leads to a, to a lack of sleep and, and feeling even more than being alone. The ESV actually uses the word sparrow here, not just bird. But a sparrow, think about it, is, is a bird that's not often alone. It's not solitary. If you see one sparrow, the rest are coming. Not only is the psalmist writing about these feelings of anguish and loneliness, he now speaks of the torment that comes from his enemies. He seems to be agreeing with the taunts of his enemies, eating ashes and, and mingling his drink with tears. These things are happening as a result of God's wrath. I mean, verse 9, because of your great wrath. Let's make no mistake. Sin brings about suffering. There is anguish and pain and hurt in our lives because of our sin or the sin of those around us. We are sinful people living in a sinful world and God is holy and just. Sin has consequences. Some of the pain, some of the anguish, some of the, the difficulties and the burdens we face in our life are because of our sin. We cannot get around that. We cannot hide from that fact. But, but no sin is mentioned here in this psalm. There's no confession of sin here in this psalm. The reference to divine wrath goes without explanation, and there's no link to any personal wrongdoing. The situation is vague. Is he denying sin? Is he ignorant to his sin? We do not know. But what we do know is that he feels abandoned and under the anger of God. And if you've ever felt the things that are described in verses 3 through 8, then you certainly understand the feeling of abandonment and the sense of, of feeling God's anger. But these unknown questions are answered through Christ. 
Jesus is the one who would suffer on our behalf. He knew no sin. He was perfect and he deserved God's joy, but instead he bore God's wrath. He felt the abandonment that we deserved. He faced God's justice and judgment. And because of his sacrifice on the cross, we now stand before the Creator, no longer stained with blood, but pure and clean. The author in verse 11 highlights again the the shortness of our lives with a description of this lengthening shadow. As the day ends, the shadows get longer. Now, I mentioned it earlier, and and if I'm honest, this is one of my favorite psalms. I love to sit in this psalm. But I find myself sitting in just the first 11 verses of this psalm. I'm quick to embrace them. I'm quick to use them as my own words. The author provides feelings or words for the feelings that I have. and I mean, I have a pelican on my arm. This, this sense of, of not belonging, not feeling, I, I, I embrace it. And Scripture is helpful in these ways, providing the very words we need sometimes. And pelicans are neat. Brothers and sisters, if you're going to get something on yourself permanently, why look at verses 3 through 11? Look at verse 12. But... You, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. Forget about the pelican. The reminder we need is, but you, Lord. In the midst of this lament, in the midst of this cry to God, there's this moment of realization. But you, Lord. What a a transition. The contrast between this fleeting existence, the long shadow, the withering grass, with the permanence of God, everlasting God. Unexplained suffering is not meaningless suffering. All of your sufferings are in a sense unexplainable. God's ways are are not always revealed to us. And you don't get to know everything. I know we like to think that we deserve to know everything, but He's God, and you're not. No suffering in the Christian life is meaningless. It's not always easy to accept, but we're called to live by faith in God. And the prayers that we offer... The crying out that we do is demonstrating the faith that we have when we claim to God, that we give to God. This is the trust that we have in His goodness. This is the trust that we have in His wisdom. And this is the trust that we have in His power. In the middle of the battle with your afflictions and your pain, and in the midst of your desperation, honestly open up your heart to God. The psalmist doesn't have answers but he's talking to god he's not turning away from god he's he's turning to god 
He transitions. He's sitting in his own pain. He's embracing what it feels like. (laughs) And he turns. And he looks at God and he says, But you, Lord. Verses, Verses 12 through 28 speak to that confidence that we should have in God. The darkness closes around us. The feeling of loneliness is once again running through your bones, but it's not hopeless. We trust in the character of God, the future work of God. This is the foundation that we build upon with Psalm 100. It's this understanding of of who God is, giving Him thanks and praise, recognizing that He is faithful through all generations. Brothers and sisters, this is what you rest upon in that anguish. This is what you rest your head on in that pain. You have to be able to see beyond your circumstances. You have to be able to look past what you're going through to see the unchangeable God. Oh, but but Pastor Scott, you don't know what I'm going through. But you, Lord. The psalmist makes the transition. You need to make the transition. But it's too hard. But you, Lord. But you, Lord, are eternal. In verse 12. You sit enthroned forever. Not withering away. Not vanishing like smoke. But you, Lord, are eternal. But you, Lord, are compassionate. Verses 13 through 14. He will have compassion. The psalmist believes God will arise and have compassion on his holy city. Not because the people deserve it, but because God is faithful and compassionate. The psalmist knows God will be compassionate because God is faithful to his word. He loves us with an everlasting love. Recognize that just because you doubt something is there, doesn't mean it's not there. And there are times where we doubt God's love. If we if we are honest with ourselves, more often than not, we doubt we doubt pieces of God's love. So when you do, when those moments come over you, go to God's word. Fill your mind and your heart with those truths. You'll see, you'll recognize, and you'll embrace the fact again. But you, Lord, are sovereign. Verse 15, the psalmist sees the affliction and in the midst of a much larger story of redemption. God is bringing His people to Himself. That sovereign plan is is not going to be thwarted. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what the world around us thinks it's going to do. God's will will be done. Take great joy in that. But you, Lord, rebuild. Verse 16, the psalmist can pray with confidence because he trusts in God's ability to execute his plans. It says in verse 16, for the Lord will rebuild Zion. He will appear in his glory. The psalmist knows He knows that his future and the future of the city is dependent upon God. Do you know that? 
Do you know the, the future of your city, the future of your nation is dependent upon God? I, I think we lose that sometimes. We get, we get hung up with who and what and when and who said and they didn't and they looked and they didn't. And Is God not in control? In the midst of the affliction, we must remember God's power. He has the power to rebuild our lives, our homes, our churches, our cities, our nations. He can turn mourning into dancing. He can make bones live. He can bring beauty out of the ashes. You all trust in His power. He can rebuild. But you, Lord, hear. Verse 17, the great and magnificent God also hears the prayers of His people. Israel groaned and cried out to God, and God saw, God heard, God knew, and God acted. He still sees, He still hears, and knows, and acts. Cry out to Him. Cry out to Him in your times of grief, in the midst of your trials. Cry out to Him. Use the exclamation point and not the period. Oh, but you, Lord, are faithful. Verses 18 through 22, we, we see the psalmist continues praying with confidence because he knows the future is in God's hands. Look for a moment at verse 19. God looks down. Hears the groans in verse 20. Releases those condemned. Why does he desire for God to act? Why is he asking for God to do these things? He does so for the generations to come. He does so not so they have a better world. Not so that, the, that, that, that everything is rainbows and glitter. He does so so that the future generations might glorify God. Lord, hear my cry so that the generations after me may hear of your faithfulness. He wants God to use His afflictions for the good of others. That should shape the way we pray. That should shape the way we view our struggle and our illness and our pain and our grief and our confusion and our anxiety. Oh, so that God may use those things so that others may hear. Is this how you see your pain? We see that we see that their sufferings might not be not might be explained. But we don't know why he's suffering. It doesn't mean they're meaningless. The value of them comes so that the future generations might hear of God's faithfulness. When you ask God to act on your behalf, don't make it all about you. Ask that the Lord can act for the glory of His name so that others may hear of His faithfulness. 
but you, Lord, are unchanging. Verses 23 to 28, in the midst of this darkness, he stops, he stops to consider the fact that the pre-existent God created the world. This is how our minds work. We get so wrapped up in sitting in those few verses at the beginning, we lose sight of who God is. If, if God can create the world and sustain it, He can sustain you and I in the midst of our trials. I mean, when you feel like giving up, or when you're just spiritually dry. Remember, God never grows weary. He never gives up. Not only does God never give up, He never loses. He will accomplish His purposes. His character never changes, and His purpose never changes. Don't quit. You, you're not alone. This, again, is not a movie where your best friend becomes a volleyball. You have God. You have a Savior. Jesus Christ knows your affliction. Not just because He knows all things, which He does, but because He's also experienced suffering and pain and torment and mocking. Your Savior bore the wrath you deserved. Even through your even though, even though your pain is horrible, even though your afflictions are great, He already took the greatest affliction for you. And after that, He rose from the dead, conquering your greatest enemy. He now gives you access to the Father, allowing us to cry out for grace in our time of need, for kindness to be shown upon us. It is only through Christ that we can approach the throne of grace with the confidence that we have. Brothers and sisters, don't be surprised of your suffering. We are sinful people living in a sinful world. Suffering will come. The shadows are getting long. But we need to learn to pray in the midst of it. Learn to see Christ as your unshakable hope to endure it. And our great hope of getting on the other side of it. Psalm 100 is five verses. Five verses of giving praise and thanks to God, recognizing that we are His. We are the sheep of His pasture. And His, oh, His faithfulness will move on for all generations. Those five verses sit in those. Oh, but, but the pain comes. Psalm 102 is there for us when the pain comes. But, but Psalm 102 is not 11 verses. Go to verse 12. But you, Lord, 
Cry to the Lord. Use all the exclamation points that you can. Recognize who He is. Pray with desperation. Pray with honesty. Pray with great confidence. Because you know that all thanksgiving and praise and honor and glory and all those generations, it's all His. So in the midst of that pain, we can cry out, but you, Lord. And remember that He is faithful and unchanging and has given us His Son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are indeed thankful for the many things that that you are doing in our lives. Father, we are thankful for the way that you provide for us, not just with with meeting our physical needs or monetary needs, but but Father, you you provide breath and life, and and we thank you for that. Father, we recognize that that we are mortal and our our bodies are dying. We are not meant to live forever in these bodies. And and we rejoice that in your great wisdom that you have designed something else for us. But Father, we we also see the the pain and the frustration and the the anguish sometimes of, of living in these shells. Father, I pray that that those that are struggling with physical or or mental illness, Father, that they, they would, oh, that they would embrace, embrace the, the, oh, the promises that you have given us. That we would be able to, to look past all oh, the, the, the here and now and embrace what's to come. Father, for those that are, that are dealing with oh, pain and anguish that comes from family or jobs or, Father, even just loneliness. Father, I ask that you just remind them as well that we need to stop stop looking for the pelicans and start looking up to you. That is where our hope lies. Our hope doesn't lie with a bird on a roof. So, Father, we ask that you would just continue to, to be in the forefront of our minds. Father, we ask that you would continue to, to provide these reminders for us daily. And those, Father, that are struggling and that are suffering, that are in the midst, Father, I do, I pray for comfort. I pray for relief. I pray for victory. But I pray, Father, that your glory will be known because of those sufferings and pain, because of the confusion and the depression and the anxiety, because of the hurt. Father, that you would be glorified in that. That others would come to know you through it. That's what we pray for. And we do all of that in your Son's name. Amen.